Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What school has the best traditions? Who are the most passionate fans? Where is the best tailgate? And what are the most iconic stadiums in the craziest college towns? We find out right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field. Protect them. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. Ever wonder what it would be like to go to all the top rivalry games and monumental matchups in college football? Well, my next guest did just that over a 14-year span. That's why I'm excited to have on the show Sean and Valerie McMahon, authors of the book, This Year's Game, one couple's annual pursuit of college football's rivalry and revelry. You can find it on Amazon and at your favorite bookseller. Thanks for joining me. Hey, good to be with you. Good morning, Chris. All right, so first off, which came first, the idea for the book or the actual journey to college football's top games and rivalries? Yeah, that's a perfect uh, lead-in, Chris, because the way it came about is uh, Valerie, she got her undergrad at the big university in Austin, Texas. So she actually loved college football before I ever met her. Hook them. So lucky me. Yeah, yeah and, and, and lucky me. Uh, I got my undergrad at Oklahoma State University. So uh, That would be the big university in Stillwater. All right, yes. Go, go Pokes, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. And and uh, as as you know, and uh, most of your fans know, of course, um, Texas considers OU uh, that team from Norman Junior College up the up up north as their rivalry, and Oklahoma State con- considers the Sooners their rivalry as well. And uh, Oklahoma doesn't even consider Texas or Oklahoma State, but um, we had a mutual. Um, we still do have a mutual enemy, if you will. And we decided back in the year 2000 that we would very much like to go to the Red River shootout, as it was known then. And that got us started after that game. We had such an amazing experience. We realized that we would make a pact that as long as we remain a union, we will go to one major college football game every year. And we've been doing that ever since. And we've gone to all the big rivalries. Oh, I know. You went to some of the best games out there. So let's start right there at the Red River Showdown, pitting number 11 Texas and the 10th-ranked Oklahoma Sooners at the historic Cotton Bowl. Talk about that chapter in the book titled Chilling Start to a Wonderful Quest. Well, uh, part of the reason was, if you recall, OU wasn't that great in the 90s, and Bob Stoops had just started uh, coaching the team. And so thinking, you know, being the longhorn that I am, I thought that the the rivalry would continue with a Texas win. And so we thought, well, what better way? I had been to the 1984 game, uh, if you remember that one, with the, yes. maybe some questionable calls. No, not really, not really. Anyway, so we decided to start off with that rivalry because uh, you know, we thought – It is the perfect fall game for us, and it's always been one near and dear to my heart. And we were in for quite a rude awakening in terms of weather, in terms of how prepared OU was and how unprepared Texas was. So it was was quite an interesting 
quite an interesting uh, first game experience. But despite that, we kept going year after year. Did, did you see the hat that went to Oklahoma? An actual gold ten gallon hat? Uh, we did. Well, it was raining. It was raining at the end, and only the Oklahoma Sooners were left on the field. Uh, the, the the other side of Cotton Bowl Stadium had turned from burnt, burnt orange to concrete gray. <laughs> and uh, we actually didn't, yeah, we actually didn't see the, um, uh, the the presentation of the golden hat, but we did see a lot of other pageantry, uh, including the Texas State Fair, which, as you know, that's where the game is held every year. Oh, that fair is huge. Yeah, ever since the first time they met, that game has always been played in Texas, and this was the 95th meeting, and 95 years before that, the two teams came together there uh, in Dallas. And the Rough Riders, as the Oklahoma football team was known at that at that time, actually they were the the Rough Riders from the Indian Territory. Oklahoma wasn't even a state yet. They uh, they avoided a shutout by scoring a safety, and they lost that game 28 to two on the inaugural Red River Shootout. And uh, just quickly, Chris, I'd like to just mention the fact that uh, being from Stillwater. Uh, well, I love Stillwater, by the way. It's one of my favorite college towns. Yep, that's where I went to uh, for my undergrad. Uh, we always knew this OU-Texas game as uh, the Red River Shootout. Uh, Valerie, you, you always called it. OU-Texas. Simply, <laughs> simply OU. Now the, uh, the powers that be have changed it to, uh, what is it now? The Showdown, yep. They changed it from shootout to showdown. Yeah, to me, it will always be the Red River Shootout. We are speaking with Sean and Valerie McMahon, authors of the book, This Year's Game, one couple's annual pursuit of college football's rivalry and revelry. And even though Valerie's Longhorns went down, I'm sorry, you continued and fast forward to 2004, you went to a Big Ten matchup in Columbus, Michigan, Ohio State, known as The Game. The Buckeyes have some really great traditions. How was the best damn band and script Ohio? It was one of the most uh, awe-inspiring experiences we had on our 14-year true story. It was wonderful. Uh, along with the pomp and uh, pageantry of the, uh, the dotting of the I and the amazing band that they put forth, uh, it was truly one, I, I perceive it to be the, the, the most contentious uh, rivalry between the fans of all the games that we went to uh both fan bases really don't like each other very much uh we happened to just serendipitously be sitting on the home team's uh side of the field when we bought our ticket we didn't even know where we were sitting and we were sitting right in the middle of the uh, ohio state fans and they truly embraced us with open arms they taught us all their songs they made all fun of michigan uh and also if you as recall, they do so Chris, well <laughs> yeah And Chris, as you recall, going into that game, uh, Michigan was nine and one, and they were uh, number seven in the nation. Yeah, ranked seven. Ohio, yeah, and Ohio State was uh, limping in with a six and four unranked record, and they really weren't expected to put up much of a fight. And Ohio State had uh, Troy Smith at quarterback, Ted Giddens Jr., Mike Mike Nugent as their uh, field goal kicker, who played a prominent role in. A.J. Hawk on the other side, and they really uh, rose up that day, and they 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 beat Chad Henning and Brian Edwards at White. They beat them that day. It was really good. Well, yeah. and, and uh, getting back 
to to the band as well. It was amazing how much the the fans were in the stadium before the game to watch the, of course, Script Ohio. They stayed for halftime. You know, normally the stadium clears out. They were there during halftime. Uh, we were actually very close to the band in the in the stadium, and it's just very fun to watch them constantly doing something. It, it, it's definitely, if you are a fan of rivalry college games, you definitely have to go to Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, I'm sure the big house is wonderful, too, and we'll probably get there someday, but the, the horseshoe is, first of all, it's a beautiful venue, and the fans were wonderful, and really, the, the band was just amazing to watch. Yes, like you mentioned, the big house, which is amazing, massive, just like Penn State's Beaver Stadium. But the horseshoe at Ohio State is just so unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is truly one of the cathedrals of sports. It has that feeling to it. When you the the rotunda, the rotunda down at the end, that ten-story carved out all alcove into the in, in the south end of the stadium is just uh, like I said, it has a cathedral feel to it. When you go to the games, are you wearing any team colors or are you trying to be neutral to be safe? Yeah, we usually try to stay safe. Uh, uh, it's uh, like I said, we, we typically don't have a dog in the fight when we're going to these games. So it's not as if we're going there to be rooting for one side or the other. We're, we're truly trying to take in all the pageantry, the rivalry and revelry that we can experience. And one thing that I do want to touch on just real quickly, Chris, is you know, we got this quest off the ground back in the year 2000, but it wasn't until about 2012 that we actually came to a realization that we should probably start writing a book. So we weren't going to these games with the intent of uh, being a beat reporter and coming up with, you know, a story every time. We just started going to them and the stories unfolded. And every time we told them to our friends, they would say, first of all, I don't even believe that happened. And, <laughs> and, and, and second of all, and second of all, they said, you know what, you should probably write a book. And it wasn't until after the uh, 2012 Clemson, South Carolina game in the college town of Clemson, South Carolina, that we actually sat down in earnest and started writing this book this year's game. Well, we are very lucky that you did. We are speaking with Sean and Valerie McMahon, authors of the book, This Year's Game. And in 2006, you traveled to Bryant-Denny Stadium, talking about a fistfight, for what is considered one of the most important rivalries, the Iron Bowl. Tell me about the fans in Tuscaloosa, where they live and breathe Crimson Tide football. They do, and uh, that is all there as expected. But the very interesting thing is, uh, as we had the opportunity to approach Bryant-Denny Stadium to uh, be in the middle of the fans and visit Ramajamas across the street and then go into the stadium. The whole day had more of a feeling like it was an Auburn home game rather than the vaunted Crimson Tide uh, home venue. Uh, It was the uh, Tigers were coming into the game. They had had four consecutive wins over Alabama and this game in 2006, uh, all their fans were wearing T-shirts that said "Fear the Thumb" because they were going to get that fifth win on that day, <laughs> which would have been, that would enable them to add the thumb to their the, the four other fingers on their hand. Well, and and one of the things, and this is one of the the wonderful experiences that we had during these these serendipitous experiences. We were walking towards the stadium just as the Auburn Tigers were pulling up in their big buses. And 
Uh-oh. off the first bus steps, Tommy Tuberville. And we realized that we were right in the middle of Tiger Walk. And I, again, I highly recommend everybody uh, experience Tiger Walk because it wasn't, it wasn't a cordoned off, you know, between the ropes sort of thing. The team was actually making their way through the fans, kind of like bustling through a, a busy train station or something. They were, and, and everybody was touching them and high-fiving them. And it was, it was wonderful to truly touch the team and, and experience that thrill. It really was thrilling. Well, you're and, right in the action. Uh, Sean got the, yes, and Sean got the chance to high-five a gentleman by the name of King Dunlap who is about six foot eight and easily, you know, uh, high five Sean over about three or four people. Did Sean, did Sean stay standing after that big high five? Yeah, he did. He did. The, the, the aptly named King Dumb, yep. Dumb, Dumb who was Auburn, yeah, who was Auburn starting tackle at 320 pounds. Unbelievable. How many times did you hear roll tie? It was wonderful. It was a hell of a lot of fun. We were actually sitting in the same section where Charles Barkley was sitting, and we were surrounded by all the Auburn fans. So every time that they, you'd hear the roll tide, or when and we weren't ready for this, in between third and fourth quarter, all of a sudden Sweet Home Alabama came over the uh, speakers, the loudspeakers, and we thought it was just, uh, you know, this is something that's going to, you know, rouse up the crowd, but uh, we sure found out right away that every, the, the, the red-clad fans in the um, stadium were truly waiting for this this moment when they played Sweet Home Alabama over the, the loudspeakers, and then right at the end, two silver-haired gentlemen walked out onto the field and waved to everybody, and we had no idea who they were, and it was actually the uh, lead guitarist and the bassist from Leonard Skinner waving to the band. Wow, that is <laughs> something <can't>. to behold. <laughs> yep. All right, let's head to the other side of the map, to Stanford Stadium with you, and one of the oldest college football rivalries in the West, dating back to 1892, for the Cal-Stanford matchup known as the Big Game. Was it the history that drew you to that game? It was the history, and we had a personal history. Uh, Valerie, she got her master's degree at the University of the Pacific, who had a football team then that was known as the Tigers, and they were a Division I team. Uh, but now they have since dropped that team. And uh, she, at that time, she befriended an individual who was a, a, a uh, alumnus of Pacific Tigers as well. And since they didn't have a team anymore, they kind of – just adopted the Stanford Cardinal as their team there in the, in the um, Northern California. And so he invited us to go to that game. It's a game we always wanted to go to. And uh, just rather serendipitously, it was the last game that was to be played at the original farm there on Stanford campus. The very next year, it was going to be torn down and the new stadium was going to be built. Well, you saw a great matchup. Marshawn Lynch was in that game, Deshaun Jackson for Cal. And if you're going to adopt a team, what a better mascot to adopt than the Stanford tree. <laughs> Good point. And, uh, not, and not just, I mean, to drop some names, along with uh, Deshaun Jackson, you know, Jeff Tedford was the head coach for Cal. Uh, sure. Steve Levy was that quarterback. Uh, Justin Forsett was the running back. And then on the other side of the field, uh, the, the head coach was Walt Harris, and Walt Harris was the head coach of the uh, Pacific Tigers when Valerie was there. Uh, they had Trent Edwards at quarterback, and it was the, the game that was – it wasn't a really highly ranked game. You know, Cal came in at 6-4, and four, 
and um, Stanford wasn't any better than that. But the traditions that go along with it were really something. Along with the Stanford tree, uh, we somehow found ourselves right in the middle of the uh, Leland Band as we were walking to the stadium. How so nuts the- are they? <laughs> nuts. They're, they are they're, passionate they're, and they're nuts. Crazy. I love them. And and they were pushing a giant trout or something. No, it was it was a koi, it was a car side koi fish. <laughs> yeah, when I was there, they were all decked out in tie dye. They were having a good time, that's for sure. Yeah, it felt more like Mardi Gras than it did a football game. That's true. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, you saw so many great yeah. upsets, future Heisman winners, and some of the best rivalry games in college football. But you also attended two legendary games, one that's actually on my bucket list, the Army-Navy game in Philly. What was it like since it was their first meeting after 9-11? Yeah, that that was uh, a stumble upon on our part as well. We uh, It was in, in December after September 11th of 2001. However, we had made our plans to go to the Army-Navy game early in the summer, and so what we did is I actually enlisted my father, who was on the sixth wave of Iwo Jima. He fought Saipan and Tinian as well. Wow! Thank so him did, for thank him for his service. That's that's incredible. Yes, it really is. And he, I asked him if he could tap into his uh, military network and see if he could get us tickets for the upcoming Army Navy game in Philadelphia at the Vet. And he reached out to a friend of his uh, there in Oklahoma. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Bliss, who was not only a World War II veteran himself, but was also an Army letterman. He played on the Black Knights football team. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bliss came through in flying colors. He was able to get us tickets uh, five rows from the field on the 40-yard line, sitting in the middle of the Army letterman section. That's fantastic. And and you were definitely good luck for Army because the Black Knights uh, (laughs) – would beat the midshipmen, but uh, they wouldn't do it again until 2016. I, truly, we, we thought about going back. You know, it was such a seriously long dry spell for Army that we thought about maybe going back to break that uh, long cycle of losses. They should have known. You're the good luck charm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one thing just to, just to mention, again, in terms of, of, of the experience and where we were sitting, we were surrounded by true heroes. They were Army lettermen and Army veterans, and uh, there were several true heroes that we could identify sitting around around us as well. Uh, down about two rows in front of us was Mr. Outside Glenn Davis. Oh, who was yes. The, yeah, yes, the second half to Mr. Inside Doc Blanchard. So Glenn Davis was right in front of us, and UCLA basketball coach John Wooden was sitting down the row from us. So there was, and that was interesting. That's legends right a, there. Uh, yeah, and but John Wooden was a, he was in the Navy in World War II, so maybe he got invited by uh, by, by an Army letterman. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, then you took the car to see some wicked smart teams play at Harvard as they took on Yale. Tell me about the chapter titled The Fight in the Dog. Well, the reason why it's called that is uh, aside from the fact that the, uh, the Yale Eli's um, also known as the Bulldogs. Uh, that's how it came up with that. But what we realized very early on, once we got into venerated uh, Harvard Stadium, uh, which is really just a concrete monolith, just kind of carved along the, the, the river there, uh, horseshoe-shaped and very traditional. And But what we realized was this was our first D2 school that we had gone to. But the competitiveness, 
and the desire to beat the rivalry was as great as if we were in Tuscaloosa. Yep, they are big rivals and don't like each other at all. It's so legendary, especially since Walter Camp played for Yale, who is considered the father of American football. Yep, and uh, he actually saved that stadium because uh, when they when they were when the game of football was shut down because it had become so violent, they were trying to come up ways with ways to uh, restart the game. And one of the uh, solutions they had by the Harvard president was to uh, uh, expand the field by an additional 40 yards. So you wouldn't be so crammed in and the flying wedge wasn't hurting all the players. Well, that would have been daunting to Harvard because, that stadium was already set in stone, literally set in stone. <laughs> literally. Yeah. But, yeah, but Walter Camp came up with uh, the, full, the line of scrimmage and also with the forward pass. And by, by introducing the forward pass to the game of football, it enabled it to stay on the same dimensions, the same size of the field, without having to reconstruct the stadium. Well, I love your knowledge of college football. We are speaking with Sean and Valerie McMahon, authors of the book, This Year's Game, one couple's annual pursuit of college football's rivalry and revelry. Now, I want to switch over to one of my favorites that you attended in 2008, the world's largest cocktail party. How did you survive not just the Gators and Bulldogs matchup, but the circus that surrounds that game? Yeah, that was a circus that had a great deal of tension before the game as well, because the year before, as you may recall, is when Mark Rick uh, executed what became known as the Gator Stomp which is when after uh, Noshaw Marino scored the first touchdown in the world's largest cocktail party in 2007, he had his entire team and it was purposefully done right race out on the field, as you may remember, and do a little victory dance in the, uh, Oh yeah. Uh, in the end zone became known as the Gator stomp. And, uh, the Bulldogs went on to win that game, and Urban Meyer said that that will live forever in his mind and the mind of his college football team for as long as he was a coach. So there was a great deal of tension with that Gator stomp taking place. Urban Meyer said he'd never forget it. It was the same that year, it was the same year when the Gators were expected to go on to be in the national championship game. They were undefeated heading into Ole Miss. They were four, four touchdown favorites with Tim Tebow at the helm, and that's the game that they actually lost by a point, and uh, that's when Tim Tebow gave his famous cheerful uh, speech that he said that he was, you'll never see anyone play any tougher than this team. Yes, the promise. That emotional speech is etched in stone outside the Florida football complex. Etched in stone, very good. And so we, this was the game that had Georgia with Matt, with Matt Stafford. Yeah, well, he also had A.J. Green to throw to. And uh, uh, Muhammad Mathakoy and Noshaw Marino in, Marino in the backfield. Yes, definitely. Both teams were stacked. Yeah, and Matthew Straff, Stafford actually uh, was, was high, higher ranked and more sought after coming out of high school than, team, than Tim Tebow. So... This was, uh, Chris, this is one of those games you had asked us earlier, do you just buy the T-shirt to, to support the, the team? And this was the one game where we found ourselves in the Georgia section. Oh. And we, we, didn't, have, we didn't have any Georgia T-shirts or anything on, but I had uh, a, a very, very uh, nondescript 
sort of blue t-shirt underneath my my sweater and the people around us were like they they didn't they couldn't figure out who we were they were like (laughs) is that gators blue yeah is that gators blue and they were talking amongst themselves about what they should do with us and um oh no and and this this girl turns to her friend she goes well i don't know it's blue but it's not really florida blue i was like are you talking about my t-shirt well full full disclosure (laughs) full full disclosure she would have unzipped her uh, windbreaker it did say no i didn't take i didn't bring that i I thought we'd we'd stopped in that he was saying we'd we'd gone to gainesville and uh uh we uh i picked up an i love timmy t-shirt but I wasn't wearing that in the game. I was wearing, I was very much neutral. Uh, but we, we had brought a friend with us, uh, a, a, a guy that uh, was living in Florida at the time. And he, he, he left the stands to buy a Georgia t-shirt because he did not want to seem like he wasn't part of it. <laughs> he was isolating himself from you. Yes, yes. He didn't want to have to, have to explain why he wasn't wearing uh, a Georgia red. And by the end of that game, Chris, it was very uh, smart that he did go get that T-shirt because uh, the remaining fans that were in the stands on our side of the field, which was very few, in fact, we were able to upgrade our seats to the 50-yard line where nobody was sitting around us. But the the ones that were had uh, imbibed in, in numerous cocktails at this party as they were drowning their sorrows because not only did Urban Meyer not forget the greater the, the gator stomp uh with just 45 seconds left to go up 49 to 10 over the uh georgia bulldogs uh he called his uh second timeout they were on a first down they called the timeout and then after that timeout they ran uh, for another 15 yards and made another first down with 30 seconds left to go in the game on the 40-yard line he called his third and final timeout just to send that message across the way to Mark <laughs> Don't do the stomp again. Yeah, exactly. And then Tim Tebow did a victory lap around the stadium. So I, I got a I got a high five Tim Tebow. All right, nice. Well, he always played with passion. We are speaking with Sean and Valerie McMahon, authors of the book This Year's Game. And an absolutely one of my favorite college football towns is College Station. You got to the game before A&M left for the SEC, and it was against in-state rival Texas. What was your experience like at Kyle Field? Well, you know, being a Texas ex and and Texas doing yeah. How did you well, get how did you get two Texas games in? And I didn't see one Oklahoma State on there. Well, oh please, we we went to plenty of Oklahoma State every year. We go to an Oklahoma State game. So, All right, Sean, uh, I was just backing you, you know. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, we we actually flew into Austin and loaded up on plenty of Longhorn gear. And it it is wonderful when your team is winning. You just want to buy their T-shirt. And so we actually just drove to College Station, ended up, and as we often do, just found a place to, to go eat dinner, and it happened to be the Dixie Chicken. And it was packed, as you can imagine, because we wanted to get there for Midnight Yell. And we were sitting at a table, it, just having a beer with some people, and we're telling them, hey, we're here for Midnight Yell, and uh, which, of course, is the, the famous Texas A&M uh, pep rally the night before the game, and the fans come into the stand, and everybody's kind of practicing for, for what their, you know, their yells for the next 
the game the next day. And by this time, it's about, you know, 8 o'clock at night. And the guy goes, well, you know, you better hurry up because uh, Midnight Yell is going to be starting in about half an hour. So Midnight Yell was actually at 830. That's a little deceiving. We. Yes, yes. So we run, we run uh, over to the stadium, again discreetly dressed in, you know, no, no burnt orange tonight uh, at the uh, midnight yell. And I, I have to tell you, again, Texas A&M fans, wonderful people, taught us all of their their silly things. I kind of felt a little bit like a spy. But, <laughs> Undercover. Uh, you know, Yes, but when they're locking arms and they're talking about, you know, we thought they were talking about sawing Rusty's horns off, but it was actually saw Varsity's horns off, which was part of their 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 uh, chant. And they're they're hooking arms with us, and we're swaying back and forth, and, and just it was it was truly a wonderful experience. Also, with this, just real quickly, was um, this was the tenth anniversary of the the tragedy with the bonfire. And so they had, uh, you know, they were giving a lot of uh, weight to that, to that tragedy. And I just remember thinking that, you know, Texas A&M wasn't that great that year. Of course, Texas went on to the national championship that year. Yeah, under Colt and, McCoy. And, uh, and I, yes, and I thought, I thought, oh boy, this is going to be tough. They are, they are fired up, you no, know, and and uh, they are ready to win. And they did, they really wanted to. Uh, destroy uh, Texas's perfect season, and I was I was genuinely concerned. <laughs> and they almost they almost, they almost did. did. <laughs> it, was, it, it was truly one of the most uh, exciting competitive games that we went to in all the rivalries that we attended. Texas came in; they were 21 and a half point favorites. Uh, they wasn't expected to be very much of a fight. And within the first 30 seconds of the game, uh, Justin Tucker, quarterback at A&M, threw a pass over the middle and went 90 yards for a touchdown. And that just opened up the floodgates for a game that ended up being 49 to 39 in Texas's favor. And there were some amazing players on, on the field that day. As you mentioned, Colt McCoy, uh, Valerie's very favorite player, who was Jordan Shipley. Uh, and on the A&M side, I mentioned Justin Tucker, a QB. Uh, Jared Johnson was a wide receiver. And a, a young man who was coming of age known as Vaughn Miller was on the defensive side. Yeah, he turned out pretty well. <laughs> 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 well, we've only scratched the surface. There are so many games and experience that I'd love to talk to you about. But you know what you're going to have to do, everybody? You're going to have to buy the book. This year's game one couple's annual pursuit of college football's rivalry and revelry. And now it's time to go. It's time to go. Ready for this? Three and out. Three lighter questions to close out our interview with Sean and Valerie McMahon. Okay, first one, we will go with the hurry up offense. So give me just a one or two word answer for each. What was the best tradition or ritual you saw? Wow. Uh, I, I would say, I would say uh, Script Ohio for me. And uh, I would have to go with the uh, Clemson entrance onto the field with the loading up the buses. And as silly as it seemed, it actually had a great deal of a chill, a chilling effect when they ran down the hill. It's crazy that they, they actually run down that with a little hump and everything <laughs> run down the field. Yeah. But it is and fantastic. Not break a leg. Who are the most passionate fans you met in which school? Uh, Ohio State. And mine easily was the uh, Virginia Tech when we saw Virginia Tech versus Miami in Blacksburg. Uh, welcome to the Terror Dome. 
the, the Virginia Tech fans were uh, were in a frenzy, and they beat Kellen Winslow that that night. They weren't expected to, but the place was shaking. It felt like the San Francisco earthquake that both of us were in. It was <laughs> it was the scariest place we've ever been in, and the fans were just frenzy. Oh, you get if you want to hear more about that, that's definitely in the book. What was your best tailgate? Oh boy, our best tailgate. Um, it wraps it wraps, <laughs> it wraps up in the final chapter of the book, and it's one that you uh, it's one for the ages, and it's the true reason why the book got written. As I mentioned, uh, you know, there's a great book out there called Friday Night Lights, and it's a wonderful story. But sure. it's about a reporter who kind of he kind of drops into a Texas town. He didn't necessarily, and he wrote it as if he was a parachute a reporter. We got embraced by the fans on the final game. Notre uh, Dame. Outstanding and and know how to tailgate. It was it was phenomenal. They really are in a beautiful campus. Touchdown Jesus and all. Beautiful campus. Yes. What was, beautiful people too. Yeah. What was your favorite stadium you visited? Favorite stadium. Um I'm I'm not gonna give it to Ohio State. I would say, you know, interestingly, uh the Harvard Stadium. It's very cool because you, you bring a pillow if you're going to go there because you are literally sitting on concrete. So that was that was it was interesting to see the stadium that it built been built years and years ago and still was in its original condition. And for me, it was interestingly enough, it was the uh, Air Air Force Falcon Stadium uh, there on the campus of the uh, Air Force Academy. And I think it wasn't so much just that stadium itself. It was how the stadium was integrated into all the other mid-century modern buildings of that campus that just gave it a wholeness, harmony, and radiance uh, that you knew it was all built for one purpose. And the stadium itself truly reflected that same feeling. And for me, it was the, uh, the, the Air Force Academy. Fantastic. And number two, which of your alma maters would win in a head-to-head matchup this year? Sean's Oklahoma State Cowboys led by Hubbard or Valerie's Texas Longhorns led by Sam Ellinger. <laughs> obviously, well, course, obviously, obviously, Texas. Obviously, <laughs> obviously fear the mullet. <laughs> All right. I didn't want to get you in any trouble. And finally, no, no, it's fine. We are, we are a health divided one, one day a year. One, just one day. That's okay, then. Just well, one you, day. You've had such a great journey. And finally, I'm a foodie. And if you could go back to just one college town for a legendary meal, where and what would it be? Uh, I would say it would be a College Station to the Dixie Chicken. I would have to. I'd have to go along with that. Uh, we did go to um, the uh, what was the name of the, the bar in, in Tennessee that we went to? Uh, oh, uh, Barley. Barley. Uh, Barley's Tap Room, and they serve uh, fried gator bites on that day. The Tennessee. Florida game, and I would highly recommend that that, that you experience that once and once in your lifetime, and and that's all it needs to be. It's all about atmosphere, too. Yep. All right. Well, you have to get this book. This is just one reader's review. This is a great, fun, and informative read for any college football fan, or if you're looking to learn why the college football fans in their life love it so much. The book is titled This Year's Game. One Couple's Annual Pursuit of College Football's Rivalry and Revelry. You can find it on Amazon and at your favorite booksellers. Sean and Valerie McMahon, the authors of the book, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Chris.
Thanks for listening to the College Football Legends podcast. Tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus. That's at the Sports Jesus. And join us next week because it will be legendary. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.